0: Well good morning everybody and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God, I'm so glad you're here. I hope you did not come to church today to be entertained because that's not why we're supposed to come to church. We're supposed to come to church to learn how to follow God, to follow God for the first place and learn more about Him. So I hope you didn't come to be entertained because I'm not an entertainer. I'm a pastor. I'm a leader of people and so I hope you came here to learn more about God and about Jesus Christ. If this is your first time here, hello, I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli and I come to you from McKinney, Texas and this is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches of these last days and this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. All right. well we always start out with a word of prayer, so if you'd please join me and let's pray and ask God to help us because we know that the Word of God says that we can't understand the Bible or His Word unless He helps us by His Holy Spirit. So join me please. Lord, Thank you so much, Lord God, for your word today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for bringing us all here. Thank you so much for your love and your great goodness, Lord God. We do pray, dear God, again today, Lord God, that you would help us. Please, God, help us. We we know that apart from you, apart from Christ, we can do nothing, Lord God, and that's even understand the ways of you and the things of you. So, Lord, please help us to understand your ways and the things that you want from us, Lord, and the things that you want to tell us today, Lord God, in your word. We love you and praise you and we just ask that you bless us, Lord God, and that our time here for you today would be would make you smile, Lord God. That our, our, our attention today, Lord God, would, would bless you, Lord God. That we would be so ready just to hear your word and, and to listen for your word and to listen for your every direction, Lord God. And then do those things that you tell us to do, Lord God. May we not be hearers of your word only, Lord God, but only doers of your word, God. We thank you, we love you, and we praise you. Help us to understand your word today by your Holy Spirit and help us then to do the things of which we hear today. We love you and ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name, God. Amen. All right, well, the title of our sermon today is Herod's War on the Church. And we will be in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 19. So I'll give you a moment to open up your Bibles and get there before we start reading. And and just remember, uh, as I'm letting you get your Bibles open, remember I won't be doing any overviews anymore. God spoke to my heart and he he wanted me to spend more time on the actual text that we're going to be studying rather than on five or ten minutes on... What we studied last week and then that takes away from what his, you know, Holy Spirit and what he wants to say for this week and for our section of scripture this week. So, all right. Are we there? Uh, I'm ready to read Acts chapter 12 verses 1 through 19. If you guys are ready, I'm ready. So praise God. Open up your Bibles. Uh, Here we go. The Bible says this, Acts chapter 12, verse 1 through 19. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother John, with a sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had rested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him out before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison. But constant prayer, that's important, so we'll come back to that. That'll be a big point of our service today. But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, That night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did, and he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of the of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. They're still praying. Notice that. that's We're going to focus on that today, too, in our message. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came and answered. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, You are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, It is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking also. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. He said, Go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death and he went from the and he went from Judea to Caesarea and he stayed there all right so remember last week Luke was telling us about how God sent Christian prophets to Antioch to give the newer Christians that were there, the Hellenist Christians that were only saved, remember, for about a year at that time, the message that the Judean churches were about to be in need. Remember, they were about to go through a great famine and God was given the Judean, uh, the Antioch churches with the new Hellenist Christians, he was giving them the opportunity to say, hey, this is how I want you to help. They're in need. So what are you going to do? And so they helped them and praise God for that. Now, this week, as you just saw, we have a brand new chapter with some brand new subjects. Luke starts out telling us of a new wave of persecution, or you could say war, on the church. But this time, it's not from the Jews. It's from the Romans, as we see. Again, verse 1. About that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. People believe this to be Herod Agrippa, and he was a Roman king, but not quite like Claudius Caesar. Claudius Caesar was like the god king of the whole Roman empire, right? And Herod was a king, but he was a lesser king. He was a king that... Her- uh, Ju- Claudius had made several smaller kings, obviously, or, or governors, you could call them too, that were kind of over the regions of the areas, and, and Herod Agrippa here was uh, the smaller Roman king over the Judean region. And Herod, well, he gets motivated to bring war and persecution against Jesus Christ church of this time. But what motivated him to even begin? Well, that's a key point. We'll focus on that a little bit now. from now. So it's been some time since the church has faced some war or some persecution. Remember the last time the church faced some war or faced persecution, it was by Saul. The unconverted Saul, okay, back in Acts 8. Nine and um, and the timeline, this could have been several years from this point. So the church has had several years of kind of some peace since that point. So Her- Herod harasses or, or, or wars against Jesus Christ's church, but how exactly does he go about doing this? Well, at least one way, sadly, look at verse 2. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. His war ends up being just as bad as the old unconverted Saul's, right? He comes to murder and, and of course because this is Herod's war on the church we're going to see who motivated Herod but uh, of course in a war in any war what do you have you have casualties casualties are in any war there's unfortunate casualties of every war there's there's death and there's 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 disease or there's you know there's murder or there's there's all kinds of you know people getting hurt and so on and so forth so here we see that james becomes the first casualty of this war on the church and he doesn't just murder anyone here doesn't he murders one of the sons of Thunder. John's brother James, also nicknamed James the Greater or James the Great, not to be confused with James the Less or James the Lesser, which would be James the son of Alphaeus. Uh, John and his brother, the recently murdered James the Great, were also two of what people nicknamed the Big Three or the Inner Three or the Inner Circle Three of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus had 12 apostles or 12 disciples, uh, and of course, Judas was, you know, he murdered himself, so he, he had originally 11 till they elected Matthias. I should say, until God elected Matthias, but he had three kind of inner circle three, Peter, James, and John. And what I mean by that is, of course, uh, he had like a a, a three that he kind of did most all his like intimate special things with. He he went up on the Mount of the Transfiguration, and, and he was transfigured before him, but he only took peter james and john and and of course in the garden gethsemane when he was about to be you know arrested and then put to death he he walked with the 12 after the the last supper and of course he sat down the the eight because judas wouldn't have been there and then he took of course he took peter james and john with him and he went a little farther with them and then he kind of they were his close three and jesus did more things with the close three and here of course it, it's so sad because we see that one of the close three one of the inner three has now been put to death scripture doesn't say what james did for Herod to put him to death, but contextually here we see in this section that Herod arrests Peter the very next thing he does. So Herod really was making war on the church, trying to take out its leaders. Why? Well, of course, if you take out the leaders of any group or any church or any business, of course, then whatever the leaders were of, if you take out the leaders, of course, that business or organization or church will fall. its simple logic. Now, sadly, this this murder of James is is sad on two different levels. Number one, uh, the fact that he was one of the big three and was taken down so soon. I mean, this is less than a this is about anywhere from ten to twelve years after Jesus Christ died. And of course, James is the first uh, original apostle or original disciple to be of, of Jesus Christ that was killed. The first martyr was Stephen, of course, but Stephen was a, I'm sure he was a convert, or he might not have been one of the originals, so he was the first martyr. James being the, the James the great, James the original James, of the one of the first ones to be called of Christ to, he is, of course, the first big apostle to be brought down. And, and, and number two, the sad idea about this James being murdered is that, He was never, ever, ever a huge player in the New Testament church or in the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, He didn't even write the book of James in case you're thinking, well, Pastor Ed, what about the book of James? Well, James was written by Jesus Christ's half-brother James, who was one of Mary's other children, of course. So he wasn't even the James that wrote the book of James. James was just, he was a figure and he was a head in the church, but we never read about any of his exploits if he even had any. Other than, of course, we know that he was one of the elders, one of the one of the original apostles that that sat on the you know basically the board of the church, and, and it's and it's weird that Christ didn't really do anything more with him before. Uh, Herod put him to death. You would think, I would think, maybe him being one of Christ's big three soldiers, right? That he would have played a huge role in the New Testament world. But but God saw fit for him to make the quick the quickest exit from all the original apostles. I, I, Jesus did say in Matthew chapter 25 that you know as he was given a parable about himself and about to go away, and that was him, him a parable about going away to heaven, and he he called some some servants to himself his own servants to himself and to one he gave five to one he gave three and to one he gave one talent and of course when he came back he granted the one with five five more the three three more but then the one he kind of fell away but James, he might have been only given the three or the one, and of course he wasn't responsible. God didn't make him responsible for a huge part of, like, for, for instance, like what Paul did and what Peter did and what John did, as we as we see, they they played great roles in, in the in the development of the new church and the spreading of the gospel in the new church. And so I just find it shocking that that you know James wasn't a bigger player, and it's sad that he wasn't before. He was taken down, and I don't understand why God did that, but I'm not God, and I don't understand all his ways, and he's God and not me. Uh, at least the only one good thing I could say is that, number one, James followed Jesus Christ while he was alive the whole time, and number two, James endured to the end for his master, Jesus Christ, and, and that's a lot to say right there uh, because enduring to the end is something that we must all do if we want to be with the Lord forever, right? And Anyway, I wish I could say more about James the greater, greater, but I can't, so l- let's move on. Sadly, that that kind of closes the chapter from the James the Great, the one of the original eleven apostles. Look what Herod does next, Verse three. And because he, that be Herod, saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So there you see Herod makes great effort to try to take out Jesus Christ's church and, and arrest Peter. What human element tempted Herod to do what he did? Well, Scripture just told us there that Herod saw that his murder of James pleased the Jews, or or most likely... It would be the same Jewish leaders who actually killed Jesus Christ and encouraged Saul to do the same thing when Saul was persecuting and killing Stephen and arresting people, putting him in prison, which makes his temptation, if you really look at the human temptation of the core of why Herod did what he did, would be to receive the adoration of the people. Do you you see that? He saw that it pleased the Jews, so he wanted the people to give him adoration. He wanted the, the glory of the people. Now, that gets him in trouble. And we'll see that next week as we study next week's sermon, as we see that he was taking the adoration that was due God for himself and because of that, God strikes him down. But there's a little bit more to that. We'll study on that next week. So the uh, the, the human element that, that caused him to go after Peter next, but of course what what was used to motivate him was of course the adoration of people or the Bible would call that the lust of the eyes or the pride of life. And this is a dangerous, dangerous sin. For I don't care if you're on the outside looking into the Christian world or if you're a Christian and you're in the Christian world. The Bible says that these two things are dangerous for God's kids, Look, or the outsiders, or, or unsaved. Look at 1 John 2. Verses 15 and 16, we read this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, John is talking. This would be John, the brother of James, the one that was just murdered. He And he was talking about, because I'm sure he had seen it from Herod and others as well. He says here, he gives a command. First of all, do not love the world or the things in the world. That, that's, that's huge. That's a command. And if, and if God saw fit to command him, his children through john not to love the world or the things in the world then we know that's dangerous we know that's something that christians should not do he goes on he says this if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him that means whether we turn to love the world or whether like herod loved the world and the things of the world he says the love of god the father is not in that person or i'll add that that love of god has left that person okay because they're not enduring Uh, verse 16 for all that is in the world and here is where the danger to christians or or the danger obviously that herod fell into for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of uh, and the pride of life is not of the father but is of the world which means obviously as i said before these temptations are not only deadly for unbelievers they're deadly for god's kids too this what john says here reminds me of what peter said in second peter 2 uh kind of in the 18 to 20 mark just just glazing over a little bit to just to hit the highlights it, it peter writes this verse 20 for if t- for if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, let's talk about somebody that's saved, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Meaning, if somebody's saved, but yet they fall back into bed with the sin of the world, the, the pride of life, the, the you know, uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, whatever, they fall back into the, the evils of the world and they're getting entangled in them or, or, they're, or they're enraptured with them or or they become consumed with them again or become in bondage to them again. Peter just warned us and said that the latter end of that person will be worse for them than from the beginning, like if they would have never known the Lord Jesus Christ. So Christians... Christians, my beloved Christians, my my brothers and sisters in Christ, my born again believers out there, be careful to not submit or serve again or get in bed with the lust of the eyes or the pride of life or the lust of the flesh. They will kill you spiritually. You will, if you get entangled in those things again, the the Bible says that you will not end up going to heaven. You will forfeit your eternal life with God. Be careful. And they'll kill you physically as well too. Uh, Not only will they separate you eternally from God, but they'll kill you physically too as we know that... All the sins of the world, when we partake of them, as I did years ago before God saved me, they're dangerous. They're, they're deadly. They, they kill you young. They, 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 they make you look old. They, they give you diseases. And so Christians, not, stay away from, from practicing the sins of the flesh and the pride of life and all of those things, because they will get you in the end if you go back to them. Jesus said, for you cannot love two masters. You'll love the one and you'll hate the other. So if you're serving God and you're serving another master, whether it be any kind of sin, you're going to end up loving the one and hating the other. And it all depends on you, which one you're going to love or which one you're going to hate. In my experience, what I've seen is, people so often will go back to serving the lust of the flesh and because it feels so good and sin is so pleasing to our flesh they end up walking away from God and 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 turning away from God because they love the sin and the pleasure of sin so much so Christians be warned moving on verse 4 let's look at what Herod the snake does after he arrests Peter, verse four. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him out before the people have to pass over. So what did he do? He arrests Peter, but he doesn't just do anything with him. He puts him in prison. Now, this would be a type of a prison like a penitentiary today. This isn't just like a jail like we saw the earlier apostles, Peter and John, being put in. This is a real live prison. For instance, in a regular jail, you're not guarded by four groups of four soldiers, totaling 16 for each watch of a four-hour night, right? I mean, we're talking 12 hours of each night. the, The prison people were guarded by four people. I mean, they only did this normally with somebody that was deadly. Uh, a child molester, or child pornographer, or or a murderer, or a, a rapist slash sexually uh, somebody that's sexually assaulted uh, women and 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 verbally and 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 physically abused them and and torn their bodies apart. This is this is a prison that they kept the baddies in the real bad baddies, and of course this is where they put prison. And, and of course Peter is not. That kind of a person. So Herod arrests Peter and puts him in prison, guarding him with 16 total guards, but he does it right before the Jewish holiday of the Passover. So I can see God's hand in this. See, it wasn't like Peter was just arrested one day, and that night and the next day was you know his execution. There was some time there, kind of like when Jesus was uh, when Jesus was, was killed or when they, I'm sorry, when they arrested him and then they took him and they hung him on the cross, but then they had to get him off the cross before that, you know, before that certain holy day of the Jews came before the Sabbath came, because it was, uh, you know, not kosher. It was really, you know, not looked highly upon by the Jewish people to have anybody for that matter, hanging on a cross or in the Judean area, of course, on one of their high holy days. So God kind of gives some time here for a miracle. Uh, something interesting that God showed me in Peter's imprisonment. Going back to that, uh, Peter is kept in prison as if he is a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous character—a uh, murderer, a rapist, a, a sexual assaultor. He, he is in with, like I said earlier, the baddest of the baddies, right? For this is how the Romans guarded their really, really super, super dangerous people with these four soldiers four times a night, you know, going through the night watch for 12 hours a day. And God showed me this. Was Peter really a dangerous man in the human flesh type of way? Was he really a rapist? Was he really a murderer? Was he he really he really a hardened criminal? Well, of course not. Peter wouldn't even have been guilty of stealing a stick of gum, right? Yet here he is in prison. We see that he's in prison here, and you say, Well, Pastor Ed, how do you know it's really a prison? Well, as we read out in the Scriptures, and I'll kind of point it out, but it says, as God's delivering him from prison, they're they're passing the tower gate, the the towers where the you know the the guard towers. Well, well, that's not a jail. You don't put a jail or you don't put guard towers at a regular jail uh, and you don't have a steel or iron gate that guards the city that the prison's in if it's not a real hardened prison. So this is a real hardened prison. Yet again, Peter is not a dangerous man, uh, a murderer. He's not a rapist. He's not a child, you know, a child molester. He's just a Christian and he loves Jesus Christ. So, so, but why a prison? Why a prison? Well, he actually was a very deadly and dangerous man. But he wasn't a deadly and dangerous man to humankind, to hurt people or to molest children or to rape women. Where he was dangerous and deadly was he was the leader, the head man. Jesus Christ put him as basically the head man. Like when Jesus left, he kind of put Peter in his place and he became the main head man of what? Well, the Christian church, and, and and why would the Christian church have been a bad church? Well, it wasn't bad to humankind, but what it was deadly and what it was bad to, as Peter was the head of it, was to Satan's kingdom. Peter was a soldier for God's army and therefore a humongous, deadly, and dangerous threat to who? Not to man's kingdom, but to Well, if you're thinking it, yes, you got it right, the devil's kingdom. So we see here who was really responsible for Herod's war on the church. We see who's really responsible here for who put Peter in prison, who arrested Peter. Who was really responsible for this war? Well, it wasn't Herod. It wasn't people. It was Satan, of course. And did you know, just FYI, if you are a true true Christian, or if you're a really true born-again person, did you know that... The devil or Satan is always at war with us. Isn't that crazy? Um, Hope you see that. I really hope you see that. Bible says that, he is always at war with real Christians, and I want you to know that. And that's going to become important as we keep moving on from here. Because as we see, just a recap: so so Herod murders James, goes on, <laughs> Satan inspires him to war against the church. He goes on war against James. He 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 kills James. He arrests Peter, intending to take down the leaders of the church, and hence, since take down the whole church church, right? Because the church, Peter, James, the apostles, the disciples, they are a huge threat to, again, not man's kingdom, but Satan's kingdom. But were the devil and was Herod the only one that was at war during this time. Well, no. We see we have a counterattack here. You see, in war, there's the allies and then there's the baddies, right? But who else was at war? We'll look at verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but... Now, there's a lot of buts in the Bible, but there are some good buts and there are some bad buts, right? There's good buts like we see here, but they were, you see, we see the resistance, we see the allies but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. So, you see, Satan and Herod weren't the only ones that were at war with the saints. We see here that the apostles, the other disciples, the, the church members, the Christians, the followers of Christ, they were at war too, but they were at war with a little bit different of a weapon, right? They were at war against Satan and his kingdom and against his working against the church by constant prayer so although peter was in prison and separated from the body of christ the christians were not helpless they were fighting for peter by the weapon using the weapon of constant prayer now what kind of prayer is this is this a is this a prayer where oh lord you know be with peter and and you know comfort him and lord please if it's your will you know get him out of prison heavens heavens no this prayer weapon that the apostles and the disciples and the followers of Christ are, are using for Peter is constant prayer. This is a, this isn't, they're not stopping. They're, they're a consistent, they they keep on going. They're, they're not just letting what's happened to them defeat them. They're, they're taking what's happened to them and, and they're counterattacking Satan because they know we're the real attack is coming from. They they know. They're they're not blind to the fact that this is inspired of the devil. We we see a direct attack at the heart of the church and the apostles and the disciples and the followers of Christ were not ignorant against these devices and who they were really coming from because they were really coming from the devil, right? Did you know that no matter what a true born again Christian goes through or no matter what happens to them, or me or you, we are not helpless. Did you know that? I want you to know that, because we have the weapon of prayer. And prayer, ladies and gentlemen, christians born agains all over the world whoever's listening to this message prayer is the most powerful weapon that exists both in all of humanity and in the supernatural world too i don't care if you have guns or what kind of guns you have i don't care about tanks or or swords or battleships or or bows and arrows or or swords or, or throwing stars from chinese throwing stars. So i don't care what you have No matter what weapon you may have in the physical, prayer is a greater weapon than any of those. Look at what the Apostle Paul writes, the same Saul in our scripture here, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6. Look at what he says about prayer and how it works in the whole realm of not only the spiritual, but in the physical too. He says this, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Christians, we don't need to use carnal weapons. We don't need guns or knives or Bowie. We don't need whatever. We don't need tanks or gun or, or bombs or grenades or bom- whatever. We don't need any of that because we don't war against the flesh, right? Our weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not physical, but mighty in God. And, and what weapon would that be? Well, of course, we're mighty in God, throughout Our faith and through our prayer right for and he goes on to say these these weapons are good for what what is prayer good for for pulling down strongholds well what kind of strongholds well you name it you got it whatever kind of strongholds you got stronghold from sin or a stronghold against sin that's got you stronghold against uh, obviously here we see a stronghold of herod and the devil had peter and so that was a stronghold uh verse 5 2 corinthians 10 casting down arguments our weapons in God that are not flesh are uh, in prayer and our faith in God are are good for casting down arguments. Well, arguments are a real life physical thing that we speak with our words. Yes, prayer can even defeat, uh, th- uh, even cast down arguments. And he goes on, every high thing that exalts Exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And yes, this is true. Uh, If you've had a struggle with thoughts, I've had a struggle with thoughts. There's no sin that's not common to any man. And I can tell you on the days when uh, I pray... And I pray and I've been asking God to help me to control my thoughts and not to just think crazy thoughts and to take every thought into captivity and, and not to just, just to think sinful things. And when I pray and when I'm diligent about praying, when I, when I keep up constant prayer every day for this thing, God's been helping me. It's been getting better and my, 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 my mental life has been more on Christ and not in the, 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 the smut of this world, the evil of this world. And so, yes. Prayer and praying for these things even helps us bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And, verse 6, being ready to punish all disobedience. So, yes, prayer does all of these things Uh, when your obedience is fulfilled, of course. If only real Christians would realize that they are at war with Satan and the fallen angels please, Christians, I want you to realize this. Then if you'd only as a real Christian realize that your true weapon against this war is the power of prayer and prayer itself, then realize that the world would absolutely be a different place and that there would absolutely be more people headed to heaven when they died if we would actually pray. And not just pray any old way, but pray specifically like we were in a spiritual war. That's right. Not just, oh, Lord, I love you and I praise you. Oh, that's good. We're supposed to come before the Lord. We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to heap up our thanksgivings. That's all wonderful. And that's all the praise and thanksgiving, right? But we are supposed to pray like we are in war because we are. Christians, get your heads in the game. God actually promises in His word that things would change if we would just pray. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Now this is very important. I want you to hear the wording on this on this section, on this verse. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Did you notice the whole verse was contingent on the first word of the verse, if? Did you know that God doesn't make us pray? God just told us in that verse, things would change if. We, his people, would do these things. He promises us there that he would hear from heaven and forgive us of our sins and heal our lands. What does our land? What what does heal the healing of our lands look like? Well, did you know our lands are sick? They're sick from sin. They're sick from evil. They're sick from the Bible. Jesus said that the whole. John says, excuse me, that the whole the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. So our lands are sick and they're sick with sin and they're sick with uh, the, the power of hell and they're sick with the power of death. And yet God promises us here, if we're his kids, if. If my people were called by my name, that's if, that means that that we have a responsibility. It's not just like we're just going to, he's going to make us do it. He wants to see if we'll love people, if we that are called by his name, those of us that are saved, those of us that are born again already, if we'll humble ourselves. And humble ourselves means don't walk around prideful. That means don't think, oh, God's got everything and I don't have to do anything. If, well, if means you have a responsibility, Christian. You have a responsibility to do these things if you care about the healing of your land and about the love of the lost that are in this world. If you will humble yourself. Humble yourself. Come to God admitting you can't do anything without Him. Walking humbly with Him. Asking for His help. Asking for His intervention in this world. If we'll do those things and pray, Notice the other things were first. Then pray. Well, pray what? Pray like we're at war, right? Pray like we're really needing God and needing his help and needing him to change the world. And if we seek his face and if we turn from our wicked ways, and yes, we all, even those of us that love Jesus Christ, we have wicked ways about us. We may not even know what they are, but we should be praying just like David, oh God, please show us if there be any wicked way about us. Because we all have wicked things that are in our hearts that come out, but God's just not revealed them to us yet. And and we should be praying, God, show us our wicked ways, that, Lord, we could turn from them. Lord, show us what they are so we can humble ourselves, turn from them, and then pray and then seek your face. God, we want our lands healed. We want you to hear us. We want to be forgiven of our sin. Lord, please heal our lands, save the peoples, change the way things are. And and how I know that prayer changes things, how I know prayer changes the heart of God is because there's more than one instance in the Bible, but you see at one point in Exodus chapter 32, the Israelites had really ticked God off bad. I mean, they were on God's total bad side. He had just delivered them from egypt he was just walking them through the wilderness he was, he was being their provider he, he was loving them he was showing them his ways and, and yet here they were again unthankful ungrateful complaining making a golden calf worshiping another god and yet he had just revealed himself to them in a mighty way so so here we are one point exodus chapter 32 and we see god says this they had made him so angry he says this the lord said to moses I've seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone. Moses, get away from me. You know why? Because stop bothering me. i got to take care of this business. I have to, that the, my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to take them out. And you know, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make of you a great nation. That means that he said, I'm going to destroy all these people. And then I'm going to make you a new nation, another people, a people that are, that are really, you know, that will have a different heart toward me. And yet, here we are, verse 11, Moses prays. And we see what happens when... His people who are called by his name, if they humble themselves, if they pray and seek his face, turn from their wicked ways, we see what happens. Verse 11, then Moses pleaded with the Lord, his God. Moses interceded. He got down on his knees. Whatever he did, he threw himself before the mercy of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior, God Almighty in heaven, Jehovah God. And he said, God, please. And so after Moses was done praying, we don't really know how how long Moses was praying and Uh, after Moses is done praying and interceding for Israel, uh, like those that were praying for Peter in the early church, like all of God's kids should be for him to spare the lost in the world today, to spare his wrath on them, same, same, same. Verse 14, just a few verses after Moses is done pleading, we see this. And now there's a certain group of people in the world that do not believe that God changes his mind. Yet here we read in verse 14 of Exodus chapter 32, God says this, Then the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. So God changed his mind after one of his kids followed his word in, in uh, Second Chronicles 7.14, and he turned, and he did not destroy, and he gave them grace after his man that was called by his name, turned to him, pleaded with him, implored him, begged him, he stopped. God stopped. He changed his mind on the destruction of the people and he saved them. He allowed them to be saved. Christians, It's a picture of what we can do this very day. I implore you, please, pray, intercede for those around you. Pray for your nation. Pray for your family members. Pray, 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 pray. pray If you love God and you love others, and I need you to pray. God needs you to pray. He says, if you pray, things will change. Pray, pray, pray like you are at war because Christians, you are. We really are. I hope you see that here. We are at war. Does God here in Acts 12 honor their fervent, consistent, intercessory prayer for Peter? Look at verses 6 through 10. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. There's your there's your four total soldiers for that four-hour period, two with him and two outside the cell doors. Uh, and verse 7, Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in prison. I can just see this picture. What a beautiful picture. But here is the angel, and he's standing in front of Peter. This great light, and what does he have to do? And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. You don't put chains on people that are just in jail, by the way. I told you I'd point out the fact that he was in a real hardened prison and he wasn't just like in a in a jail cell somewhere with just, you know, one door. Verse 8. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. Do you see a picture of Peter First of all, totally trusting in God in the situation. Peter was so ready to go home to be with Jesus Christ and God. And, and even his his beloved brother, James the Great, in the faith, he was relaxing and trusting in God. And he had taken off his shoes. He had taken off his outer coat. And the angel had to smack him on the side, raise him up, and say, Get all this stuff back on, goofball. We're about to get out of here. Christians, this is how God wants you to trust him, even in the midst of a terrible situation that you may be in right now this is how god wants you to trust in him peter in prison in in a hardened prison an angel shows up a light flashes this angel smacks him on the side get up what's peter's response to all this look at verses 9 and 10. so we went out and he followed him and listen Listen, This I'm going to bring this up here. And he did not know what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Peter didn't even believe with his physical mind that all of this was happened but verse 10 we see the prison again here when they were past the first and second guard posts again you don't put guard posts in a jail you put them in a hardened prison right they come to an iron gate that leads to the city well generally cities didn't have iron gates that guarded them unless of course they had a prison that was there which opened to them of its own accord and they went out went down one street and immediately the angel departed from him what a powerful moment in experience in time For Peter. Uh, No wonder why he didn't think it was real. I've often said, and I've made this statement to those that know me closely. I've often said, when God does miracles in my life, which He has just done some amazing miracles in my life, even just this week, he did several amazing miracles and things to just show me, my son, you're on the right path. Real I'm not just like, oh, I had an epiphany. I'm talking about like major and and, and life-shaking things happening. Happened to me this week and yet God just did awesome miracles and 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 just made everything fixed and perfect like the same day and the next day it was absolutely amazing and I've often said as I had many times this week when God does a miracle in my life just like peter here my it's like my physical man can't understand it it's like i'm like huh what happened huh and my physical man's going what just happened i don't don't believe that that just happened that that can't be that's not real and and then peter was the same way here It, it looks like i'm not alone peter was there right at this moment too in fact uh look at here so powerful and so surreal look at peter's response to god's miracle once he finally like once he finally like realizes fully verse 11 and when peter had come to himself oh man wow this this is real he said now i know for certain that the lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of herod and from all the expectation of the jewish people he realizes it was really from god and he believes with his spirit man his spirit mind and what what happens he's awestruck. There's always that, that that battle between the physical mind of understanding things and the spiritual mind of understanding things because we are two separate people, the Bible talks about. Paul speaks about this extensively in, in the book of Romans. And and we are really two different people. We're a physical people and we're a spiritual people. When we have two living within us. We have a soul that's within us that's all spirit and we have the flesh that's all over us and the flesh is never saved and the flesh never really believes the things of God but the spirit man is the one that believes and we see here peter the same thing look at the first thing he does by the way after he realizes what his spirit man his soul man hey wow this is real look at verse 12 so when he had considered this he came to the house of mary the mother of john whose surname was mark where many were gathered together praying he immediately goes to his fellow brothers and sisters in christ whom were still Still praying for him, and now this is nighttime. The day before he's about to be executed, and they're still in constant fervent prayer. They're still on their knees. They're still crying out to God. They're still, oh God, help him. They're, 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 they're seeking God's face. They're they're, they're they've turned. From, they're turning from the evil. They are Second Chronicles. That this is what they are doing. And after this happens, after their prayers are answered. Peter comes back to them, and he wants to celebrate God's glorious miracle—what God had just done with him in his life. I do the same thing when God does supernatural miracles in my life. I have had, again, just so many in this week alone. Uh, let me tell you what—I I can't even—I can't even describe to you the the type of week that I've had and the type of day here that Peter had really I mean he was just desiring so strongly to tell these people and you know that's what God wants us to do God does things in our life so that he can be glorified so that Christ can be glorified in him so that we can that those of us that are his that we can get built up in him that's that's one of the reasons god does supernatural miracles in our life he loves us that's one number two he wants he wants these things that he does to be known amongst his people so that his people can have confidence when they come to him and know hey god's with me god's going to take care of me and and the last reason of course and we don't see it here but like i had this week with all these amazing things that happened to me i went to just this receptionist who i'm pretty sure is not i'm not sure she's really a born-again believer and, and i started just i'm Praise God. Look at what I had a cat a catastrophe today. It was that Friday and, and all of a sudden, oh my gosh, and, and praise God and, and look at how he fixed it and he just fixed it right today. And oh my goodness gracious, and how isn't God so good? And of course, that's what God wants when we have these amazing miracles happen to us like Peter had here. But back to these people in prayer, because it really starts with them in prayer they were praying they're in fervent prayer they're praying constantly for this for this guy their beloved leader peter who's been in prison and they know he's on death row and they are effortlessly praying how do i describe this type of prayer that they're giving to god for peter Uh, the best way i could james again the half brother of jesus christ not james the great he says this the effective fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much we see here that this is the kind of prayer that they were giving before god they were just on it they weren't just praying a quick prayer here and there they, they weren't just oh lord you know if if it's your will lord you know we we sure do love peter and oh in jesus name we pray you know amen and oh no 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 god please on their knees sweating probably just like jesus in the garden of gethsemane so just so strong and just god please giving all of themselves to this intercession and in prayer they were praying and seeking god's face here for peter's release like the woman in Luke 15, eight through 10, who was looking for her lost coin. She didn't just sit back, sit on her bed, light some candle and, and you know, oh well, you know, glaze around the room and oh well, coins gone no 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 guys to find it she number one she lit a lamp which means it was dark and so she couldn't see anything number two she swept the house she was lifting up furniture looking underneath tables moving stuff sweeping the house and you know with coins if you lose coins as you sweep you're gonna hear the coin she was going over every inch of the room with this broom trying to find this coin and number three the bible says that she searched Carefully, And this is the way that they are in this effective, fervent prayer. They are righteous in Christ. Because that's the only way we can be righteous. And they are effective. They're non-stop praying. Uh, see, she was bound and determined to find that coin that she lost. These guys here were bound and determined to entreat God Almighty to release Peter from prison. Wow! Look at the response Peter gets Verses thirteen through fifteen. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate. She couldn't believe it either, and she was so ecstatic she just runs off and she gets the people. Uh, she says here, but but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. She she just was so blown away that her prayers and the prayers of the people in there were answered. Because I'm sure she's praying too. And, and yet here we are. Peter's here. She can't believe it. She's like, oh my gosh, her head's blown off her shoulders. She runs in, but look at the response that she gets from those that are with her. And, and this next verse should give me and you and, and whoever you are and all of God's children all over the world that are reading the Bible should give us hope. Verse 15, but they said to her, you are beside yourself. They didn't believe it. They did not believe that Peter was really out there, which means they didn't believe that their prayers were being answered. They were praying fervently. They were praying consistently. They were praying like the woman seeking her coin, yet they didn't believe what they were praying for. Yet she practices the same thing with these people yet she kept insisting that it was so you you see it doesn't just work being fervent and consistent and asking God and seeking God and praying to God. Jesus said ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, and knock and the door will be open to you. Well she uses that same principle with them and yet she kept insisting that it was so and so they said it is his angel. They still didn't believe her. they still didn't believe that god had answered their prayers yet they were praying so diligently they were fervently fervently and diligently praying and seeking god's face for peter's release like the woman in jesus parable who was looking for a coin but they did not really believe that god was going to answer their prayers because logically if they would have been believing that he was going to They would have believed Rhoda when she came to give them the news that their prayers were answered, that Peter was outside. So it's it's sad. Listen, I'll never, ever, ever tell you you should pray a faithless prayer, ever. I I myself know that God's word says that nothing but faith pleases God, and and I know that. But... That doesn't stop the reality of the fact that they were praying with little faith or no faith at all because they didn't believe when Peter finally came. Yet, thanks be to God for God. Thanks be to God for 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Praise God. Thanks be to God for God. He showed us that he listened and answered their prayers, and it must have been due to the fact that they were just... They were just—they wanted it so bad, and they were just asking it so bad, and and aside, aside from faith, Jesus again, Jesus said ask and you shall receive. This isn't just a, well, Lord, you know, can I have that? Okay, in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. God, if if there's something that we are in desperate need of, we know God knows it, but we also know that the Bible advocates us coming to Him in prayer consistently and fervently and over and over and over and over again as Jesus gives us in parables, and especially with the woman and the the wicked ruler who, who, although He would not want to do something for her, though by her persistence, coming to him he answered her he answered her request by by granting her what she wanted because why of her persistence and these guys were persistent they didn't get their prayer answered because they were asking this for this prayer request because they had such great faith they were asking they got their answer to their prayer because they were even though they were faithless they were persistent and they kept coming at God they kept looking they kept sweeping that house they kept going to God they kept on and they didn't give it up until they got their answer to prayer because again 2 Timothy 2:13 2, if we are faithless he remains faithful he cannot deny himself and if we ask and 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 seek and and knock he will answer he will give in because that's the kind of god that he says he is in his word and that's the only way we know god is through his word now I've heard many, many times from one of God's faithful prayer warriors that he often has a terrible time believing the answers for the intercessory prayer that he's praying for this world and for his family and so on and so forth. Feelings-wise, he feels like as he prays sometimes, he's a million miles from God which he knows that just like when the stars are hidden, right? We know God is still, we know the stars are still there just because the sun hides them when he comes out uh, or it comes out. We know that the stars are still there. We don't have to see them to believe in them. Well, same thing. He, he knows that God's with him. He knows that God's here in his prayers, but he feels faithless. His brain's telling him this. His brain's telling him that. Oh, that's not real. Oh, you're never going to get this. Oh, you're never going to go, God, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Yet he keeps praying. He keeps fervently going after God, he keeps knocking, he keeps asking, he keeps seeking, and he has told me of some amazing, amazing, great answers to his prayers it's it's crazy how God works God knows that we are so weak sometimes in the flesh and we have such a hard time believing Uh, often this man even myself uh people I know Christians oh God we believe but help our unbelief the cry of the one man that came to Jesus Christ when he was walking down the road one day Uh, again I don't advocate you being faithless but no matter whether you're faithless or whether you believe or not pray seek God's face ask him for the answer to the thing you diligently and you're desperately in need for and you will find out you will find out if you follow God's word and you do these things God will come through for you he will answer you he will reveal himself he will help you in whatever way you're needing to help just do what he says in his word his word is is how we know him getting back, finishing up, look at Peter. Uh, He knows how to be fervent and persistent in in what he's asking for, just like Jesus Christ taught him, right? Because even like I said earlier, just how Rhoda kept pestering them and how, being persistent with them. Peter, now remember, he's left at the gate, and Rhoda's gone away. And yeah, we hear Peter, he wants to get in. He doesn't want to be standing out there. He's a wanted man. He was. He's an escapee from prison. So he keeps going, verse 16 through 19. Now Peter continued knocking. He, again, he knew what worked with God would work with people too. Uh, he keeps going on. And when they opened the door and saw him, see, so that worked with them too, right? They were astonish see this persistent and fervent and asking even works amongst mankind Verse seventeen, but motioning to him with his hand to keep silent. Remember, he's a prison escapee. He doesn't want the neighbors. On. I'm sure his imprisonment was known all over the city. He was a very powerful man in the church, and so he didn't want their their commotion to stir. This was late at night. He didn't want their commotion to stir the neighbors and and you know raise up the flag and and then all of a sudden you know somebody runs to the to the Romans and says, Peter, Peter, he's out. He's right here. So he tells them, Hey guys, quiet, 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 quiet. And he kind of is also too, he kind of steps back into his role as a leader of the church, and he declares to them, "Here's the good news." He declares to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison, and he tells them of the miracles and the wonders that God had done to do that. He says, "Then go tell these things to James and to the brethren." And he departed and went to another place. So he used logic, right? Logic is very powerful. He used common sense. I'm a wanted man. Hey tell James and the brother I'm okay and and you know I'm going to go and I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to get safe and cuz we don't want to trample on God's grace right we don't want to say well god th- god did this so i'm you know i'm I'm safe and I don't have to. No, he knew that he was a wanted man, so he left and he got out of there. Now, 18 and 19, the the result of the miracle and the sad end to the soldiers. The, remember, we are in war, so there's more casualties, unfortunately. Verse 18. Then, and then, as soon as it was day, there was no st- small. Sp- among the soldiers about what had become of Peter where, where did he go we don't know we were we were with him just last night well I don't know what happened what would happen to you Th- this that and the other they, they didn't know but verse 19 but when Herod had searched for him and not found him look he, didn't, he probably did it himself he examined the guards and which is what they did that, that was their practice if they uh if, an, if a prisoner escaped and the guards were on watch they would examine them And then, of course, they had no idea what happened to them. So what happens? He commanded that they should be put to death. And then he himself left from Judea to Caesarea, and he stayed there. And I'm sure he left because of embarrassment as well, too. Remember, the Jews had just seen that he arrested peter and so they're expecting this great execution to get rid of the church's main you know the greatest leader and now all of a a sudden he's got nobody to show he's got no he's got nobody to to put to death and of course so shame has fallen on his face good for him and good for god right i'm glad that it happened to him but i'm also glad that god got his way too but of course the 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 more casualties we see here right the soldiers had to be put to death even though that they uh you know they didn't release them on purpose, or they didn't say, oh, yeah, get out of here. Of course, they didn't know, so, of course, that was the penalty. And, of course, but they knew. They knew where they were working for the evil force, and they knew God. And, of course, if they, as they knew God, they knew that they shouldn't have been helping out the Romans, but yet they were, but uh, either way. So, anyway, we ha- we're at war, and war, unfortunately, has casualties. Now, in closing, what a sad but exciting section of Scripture. Amen? I really do believe so, I mean, because we've got all these miracles. Herod goes on a rampage against Jesus Christ's church. He's, he goes to war, really. He murders James the Great, or James the Greater, then arrests Apostle Peter. And I hope you saw how this was a spiritual war. Remember, I, I, I talked about how, you know, Peter was arrested and James was murdered. This was the head of the church. Peter was kept in prison, although he wasn't a, a dangerous man to, to mankind. So he was really, this whole war, it was inspired by the devil himself, right? Uh, but, But despite Satan and Herod's war on Christ's church, God's kids, Peter's fellow followers of Jesus Christ, what do they do? They decide to fight back. They decide not just to take what's happened to them laying down. They decide to pick up their greatest weapon of prayer. And at that, they were in fervent and persistent prayer, like they had a semi-automatic machine gun, and, and they just had constant unlimited rounds. And instead of firing one or two or three rounds, what do they do? They fire, and they don't stop. They continue to fire their weapon of prayer to God for Peter, even though they were faithless even though they're they're aiming into the enemy's camp and they're firing their weapon they don't think that they're killing anybody they don't think that their their weapons are doing any damage yet even though they're faithless God honors their dedication to prayer and to use this weapon, and he gives them the overall victory that although we lost James, we know that nobody can do anything to us outside of God allowing it to happen. So God allowed James to be put to death, and yet they get the overall victory. God, it wasn't his time. He didn't desire for Peter to die. And of course, he got his way, and of course, these people's prayer made the difference in God's eyes and in god's heart swaying god to move in in the war in peter's favor and bring him out of prison wow what a message now with all of that said with everything we talked about i must close to you my fellow brothers and sisters in christ today i must close to you and i must remind you in case you've forgotten i know i've been saying it all along and i know i've been talking about it through this whole message off and on but i must remind you uh, that we are in a spiritual war against satan to this very day satan's in a spiritual war against us to this very day. And his fallen angels are in a constant battle in war against us to this very day. And we will be in this war, by the way, until Jesus Christ returns and puts an end to everything. And Christians, please don't forget this because it's so easy to forget. And it's so easy to forget that we do re- who we wrestle against, right? What, what we talked about earlier, you know, that, that our weapons of our warfare are not carnal; they're mighty in God, right? They're not carnal. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle, or we wrestle against the demons and and the spiritual hosts of wickedness, right? Like Ephesians six, we're going to read that in just a moment. Like like Paul says there, and, and that we are in a fight to this very day and that we need to not lay down and we need to be like these early Christians and we need to fight back. So I want to throw a reminder out here uh, and, and I want to close almost done with Ephesians 6:10 through 19, Paul talking to his fellow warriors in Christ back in the day to, to you, my fellow warriors and brothers and sisters in Christ. Today, Paul writes this, and I say this to you, finally, my brethren, and that'd be my sister in two, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And he goes on to tell us, put on the whole armor of God. You see, Paul knows we're in a war we're in a war christians get your head in the game you're in a war too and then he says that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil tells us who that war is against we're not just in war with our kings or our presidents or our neighbors or whatever we're at war against the devil for the whole world's way is lies under the sway of the wicked one verse 12 for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities. so we don't wrestle against people We see all the people, the end result, hurting us and persecuting us and the ISIS killing Christians and our our co-workers hurting us and saying bad things about us here and there or attacks that come from outside or even within the camp of God. But it's not that we wrestle against flesh and blood, but against, who does Paul say? Principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's who our wrestle is against. And this is who the first century Christians, when Peter was put in prison, they knew that they were warring against not Herod, not the Romans, but their real enemy was the devil, was the spiritual hosts of wickedness. And look at his charges to them for their own self first verse 13 of ephesians 6 he says this therefore take up the whole armor of god because we're in war you only need armor if you're in war but of course this is spiritual war that you may be able to stand excuse me that you may be able to withstand the in the evil day having done all to stand he says this now here's how we stand stand therefore having girded your waist with truth christians there is no such thing as a little white lie. God set, makes this the first way that we are going that we're going to be in this war because he says, "I don't want you lying. You need to be surrounding yourself and filling yourself and speaking from yourself the truth, Christians. We cannot pray for others. We cannot pray for this world. We cannot expect just like we read there in 2 Chronicles, right? 2 Chronicles Seven fourteen if my people are called by Mamin called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways lying christians lying is so easy all oh, my wife's food my wife's dish oh honey it was so wonderful oh it was so delicious and it was probably the worst thing you ever made or she ever made but you don't want to say anything because you know you don't want to hurt her feelings christians this is still a lie this is still a lie to deceive her to make her think that what she made was good anything like this this is a wicked way that you must not practice and paul's making it very clear here that the first thing we need to do be able to be able to fight this war is to have our our armor on right our armor and the first thing he says is make sure you're standing in and on and with the truth don't be liars Because again, you you cannot pray for the world. You cannot pray for others. You can't even pray for yourself regarding the iniquity in your heart of a lie. Right? Because David said if you regard iniquity in your heart, God won't hear your prayers. So Christians, truth, stand in and on the truth. He goes on to say, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Christians in the Bible are, are, are commanded, demanded to love righteousness and hate sin. Verse 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Be ready in and out of season. The Bible says to give an account of why you believe what you do. Be ready in and out of season to present the gospel. Live the gospel. Live the gospel with your lives. This is what. This is the weapons. This is the, the armor that God wants us to be clothed with so we're in this war. Verse 16, above all, he says, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. We know that we cannot stand with God unless it be by faith. Peter tells us that we're kept by the power of God Through faith. And we know this is how we stand with God. By faith. And then in the ways which he told us to live. And then verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. Stop. If you're in Christ and you know you've been born again. And you know you're saved. Stop doubting your salvation. Put on your helmet of salvation. And know you're right with God. And live like you're right with God. And then the end of verse 17. And the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. God, And then, now that we've done this, uh, verse 18, and then Paul and, and to Timothy and 1 Timothy 2, praying always, now comes the prayer for others, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to the end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, for everybody else, for all your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then Paul to Timothy and 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4, he says this, therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions and givings of thanks be made for all men, all men, who's all that's not just saints that's just not some people, that's all men, even the lost too, and we're gonna see that that's contextual too, verse 2 for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth you see christians we gotta be right and turning from our wicked ways before god's gonna hear our intercession for the world christians get your head in the game memo 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 please christians Fight back. Get examine your life. See what, how you live. See the things, see the ways you live. See the ways you speak. See the ways that you lie or you tell the truth. And then, please, 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 please. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If, if Christians means if it will you. God won't make you, but will you? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. Christians, please fight for your family, fight for your friends. Fight for your co-workers. Fight for your fellow Christian brothers and sisters across the world. Fight for those in charge, your bosses, your leaders in other countries. And for goodness sake, please, please, please beg God to do something in their lives and in their hearts to either A, win them to Jesus Christ or win them back to Jesus Christ if they're not His. Or to strengthen them in their faith if they're His. And make them abundantly fruitful for God's kingdom. And Christians, if you're not certain who's saved and who's not saved because you're, well, I'm not sure who they are. Well, then here's what you do. Get a prayer list. Get get a piece of paper. Write down all the names of those you want to pray for. And then every day, and don't stop fervent in prayer, consistent in prayer, just like we see the disciples here today. Fervent in prayer. Repeat their names before God every day. Repeat them. And then lift them up to the Lord and say, Lord God, you know the ones on this list that are saved and you know the ones on this list that are not saved. So God, please, save the people. Go after the people. Bring the people to Christ, those that are not saved. And those that are saved, help them be stronger in you. Help them to grow in you. Help them to love you more. And get on your knees or lay in your bed. But do it every day in the fervent prayer of a righteous man, a will availeth much before God. You're asking, you're seeking, you're knocking, will availeth much before God. Christians, I plead with you. Do you love your lands and do you want your lands and the people of your lands to be healed by God of their sinfulness? Do you care if the lost or backslidden people, uh, that, that, they're away from God. Don't you, do you care if they repent away from their sin of rebellion against God and Jesus Christ, and they surrender to Jesus Christ or or come back and get right with Him again so that they can go to heaven? Do you care that your lawmakers and your president lead your country in righteousness? Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their lands christians please 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 i beg of you and i plead with you to turn away from every wicked way or any sin that you regard in your heart and repent from any evil that you might be caught in right now and then get busy in prayer for yourself and for others and please pray like you're in war and pray like you want to move god's heart and even tell Him, god i want to move your heart with this prayer please god answer my prayers, answer my prayers, heal my lands, save these people in my lands, please. And I beg you, please, by the mercies of God, if you do these things, your lands will be healed. God promises these things. Please, Christians, let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord God, for your love. Thank you so much, Lord God, for calling me to to speak this message, Lord God, of truth, Lord God, that your, I don't know how many saints or soldiers all over the world, Lord God, are, are out there that are willing to listen, Lord God, for those who have ears to hear, will hear, Lord God, please cause them to hear, cause your message to go through, cause your message to go forth, Lord God, and please get through to your people and show them that you will change things if We just do the things which you tell us to do. If we will humble ourselves, if we will seek your face, if we will search your heart, if we will pray, Lord God, then you will heal our lands and you will save the peoples of our lands. You will change things, God. You will relent just like you did with Moses and you'll stop sending people to hell even though they deserve it, Lord God. I love them and I want them to be saved. Please, God. Move on people's hearts. Move people to prayer. And I pray, dear God, that your children would pray, that they would intercede like they are at war. Please, dear God. And I ask and I pray all these things, God, in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.